Well, today we're beginning uh, the third week in our vision series that we try and share with you each January about um, the vision of Hope Covenant Church. Who we are, what we believe, where we believe God is taking us, where we believe God is acting in our world, and then we want to go and join Him there. Uh, We are um, part of a vision that's on the move. A vision is never static. Uh, It's always a work in progress. It's always recognizing our surroundings, our community, seeing how God is working there, and then doing everything we can to take the good news of Jesus Christ to our community and to other places throughout the world. And one of those ways we can do that is through uh, Congo Kids. I think it's an amazing opportunity that we have to uh, make a difference in one child's life. I I just think this is one of the greatest things the Covenant's ever done, and I just want to encourage you to prayerfully consider uh, adopting one of those children. Well, the last couple of weeks we've talked about uh, our vision in general. And uh, just by way of review, um, we as a covenant church uh, believe a lot of things. But the two things that we will uh, die for, the two hills we will die on, are the two things that you've heard many times. And that is that the Bible is the word of God. It is something we believe, it's something we live, it's something we preach, it's something we teach, it's something we embrace. The Bible is the Word of God. And the second hill that we will die on is that every person can know the love of Jesus Christ uh, because of His death on the cross. Every person in this world that says yes to God can experience new life in Christ. No exceptions. There's not a human being on this world that God doesn't love and isn't calling to Himself that they can experience and embrace the new life in Christ. And that's what we've been talking about, is what this new life in Christ looks like. We receive it ourselves. It's an amazing gift that Christ lives within us. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27. Amazing truth that Jesus lives within me. But we don't stop there. I mean, that would be selfish to stop there and say, okay, I'm good. I've got my ticket punched to heaven. I'm going, you know, I'm going to be in the sweet by and by. That would be selfish of us. But once we come to know Christ personally... There's a reason that you continue to take breath. There's a reason that you continually to continue to live. And it's, and it's not so that you can have fun and not so that you can accumulate stuff as good as those things might be. But the reason you still take breath after you have punched your ticket to heaven is so that you can somehow, some way, be a part of a community like Hope Covenant Church that takes the good news of Jesus Christ to the world through this delivery system that we call love, and we can take that good news to them, and they can embrace it and experience new life in Christ as well. We'll do everything in our power, short of sin, to reach one more person for Jesus. That's what we're committed to as a church. And, and this may sound weird to some of you that are kind of maybe a not church people. And by the way, we just are so glad that you're here today because we believe that this gospel is not just for church people. In fact, the people that Jesus was the most critis- critical of were church people. He said, you guys are hypocrites. He said, the people I like to hang around with are the sinners because at least they know they need a doctor. And so we want to be that kind of community that takes the good news of Jesus Christ to our communities, to our places of work, to Hamilton High School and Chandler High School and all of the high schools around. We want to take the good news of Jesus by the way we speak and by the way we live. We want the world to look at us. And we want them to see how we live and how we love and how we die 
and say, you know what? I don't, I don't understand this Bible thing very much. I don't get this God thing. I'm not too sure about this Jesus thing. But those people, those people are living their lives and loving people in ways that I've never seen before. And I'm drawn into that. I'm curious about that. I want to know about that. So our vision is to enable each and every one of us to be that kind of Christ follower. That we are so alive that people look at us and say, you know what, I want some of that. I want to know how I can experience that as well. So that's what we're about as our vision. So here's one way we can say our vision. Uh, You are formed by God's Word, called by the Spirit to connect, grow, and serve, empowered to share the good news of God's love in order to reach one more for Jesus. So that's one way to say our vision. We say it a lot of different ways, but we want to say it like 12 different ways so that you kind of understand where we're coming from. So last week we talked about connecting. Connecting to God, connecting to each other, and especially connecting to the world around us. Because of the reason, after you've come to know Christ, and you know that you're going to spend eternity with Him, there's really only one reason He leaves you on this planet. And that's to do everything in your power to breathe life into the world around you. So we have a job. We have a purpose. And uh, that is to connect with God to each other and to the world. Today our vision topic is growing. Connect, grow, and serve. How do we grow and how do we sustain our growth as fully devoted followers of a Christ? Now, in a sense, growing up is at least partially as easy. You know, we, you know, we, you know, we, we get fed by our moms and our dads. We... We, we start growing, uh, we sleep, we play, we just start growing and growing. I mean, if you want to see some people growing, go and look at our nursery, especially this hour, first service. There's a lot of babies in there. And we have a, what we call a, a, rockers, uh, a, a, a rockers guild. And we have uh, grandmas and moms and dads that go in there and just rock babies. But we, we, if you want to see growth, you go and see these babies one week to the next. Sometimes I'm amazed at some of these. We have like four new babies in the last three months. And these little ones, tiny, they start out like six, seven, eight pounds. And now they're 10 pounds and 12 and 15. I mean, they're growing as fast as I am. I mean, it's incredible how fast these babies grow. And so, so if you want to know about growth, but that's pretty easy. You just kind of feed them, you know, and, and they just kind of grow. And just kind of, but feeding them and growing them morally, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, that's a little bit more difficult task. We have a Sherry's sister uh, whose daughter has three little girls. Uh, So this is our great niece. Uh, Her name is Alice and she's two and a half years old. And Alice is this beautiful little girl that's too smart for her own good. And you know how kids are like that. And uh, so Alice hears and listens to everything. So she took her older sister Macy's toy after Christmas and was holding on to it and running away and and her dad said to her, uh, Alice, give that toy back to your sister. Of course, she step, kept running off, and dad finally took the toy away from her. Macy, or excuse me, Alice went right back, took the toy back from her. And then her, her dad said, Alice, if you don't give that toy back to Macy, you're going to have to answer to me. And so Macy, at the time, there was a Christmas gathering. She went over, stood next to her grandfather for protection. And then she looked at her daddy. She's two and a half years old. And she said, Daddy, if you take away my toy, I'm going to kick your butt. 
two and a half years old. Now, everybody kind of giggles at that, right? Where do you think she heard that, you know? I mean, that's what, so it's not easy to raise a kid to be morally centered, spiritually centered. I mean, that's a hard job, especially spiritually. We need to grow up. And we need to grow up and know who God is and how He works in this world and how He wants to intersect with our lives. So, so even your idea or your knowledge of God, right, needs to grow up. So uh, let me read you um, uh, some children who have some really good ideas about God, and maybe you'll reflect on some of these. Uh, these are letters that were written to God, and one of them said this, Dear God, instead of pe- letting people die and having to make your new ones, why don't you just keep the ones you got now? Okay, that's pretty smart. Okay, that's Jane. She wrote a letter to God. Here's another one. God, I went to this wedding and they kissed right in church. Is that okay? Uh, Neil asked that. Um, are, uh, is Scott and Lori here? If you are, represent. Okay, Scott and Lori, they'll probably be at second service. Well, they're going to get married in a couple weeks. So I was going to have them stand and kiss, but we'll do that later. I warn them if you hear them coming. Okay, uh, here's another. Dear God, I think about you sometimes even when I'm not praying. Elliot. Ooh, that's pretty good. Dear God, I'm an American. What are you? (laughs) Robert said, Dear God, I bet it is very hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family, and I can never do it. Uh, Nan said that. Here's what Denise said. God, or dear God, if we come back as something, please don't let me be Jennifer Horton, because I hate her. Okay, that's at least, uh, you know, she needs some growing up to do, right? Uh, Another one, this is... Uh, um, from uh, Raphael. Dear God, if you give me genie lamp like Aladdin, I will give you anything you want except my money and my chest set. Okay? That's kind of conditional uh, love. Uh, here's another one. Dear God, we read Thomas Edison made light, but in Sunday school they said you did it. So I bet he stole your idea. Uh, <laughs> sincerely, Donna. Uh, Peter says this. Dear God, please send Dennis Clark to a different camp this year. So that, that's Peter. And uh, Larry said, Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. It works for me. <laughs> and finally, uh, Ginny said, Dear God, please put another holiday between Christmas and Easter. There's nothing good in there now. I, I suppose she doesn't like appreciate Groundhog's Day. But uh, uh, w- when we read these, we laugh because children are so naive and they're so innocent and they're so immature. But it's not funny when you find a grown-up, an adult, that is spiritually immature. When it comes to our spiritual lives, I see people all the time who literally choose not to go deeper, to not grow up. Now, someone coined the phrase, for those people who choose never to grow up, you know people like that? Think of people in your mind right now. Uh, Adults that have never kind of grown up. There's a, a, a phenomenon, and that's called Peter Pandemonium. You always are Peter Pan. You never want to grow up. And Now, if you can't think of somebody that's like a Peter Pan, it's probably because you are. Because, you know, everybody's like you, you know, and that's, that's okay. So, so, but, but, but Peter Pans are cute and they're fun and they're a lot of uh, enjoy, enjoy to be, enjoyment to be around. But uh, well, they don't make very good uh, adults. They don't make very good grown-ups. And quite honestly, they don't make very good Christ followers. So let me say this, as your pastor, as your friend, as one who cares deeply about you, and please take this in the right context, can I say this to each and every one of you, including me? Uh, Grow up. 
uh, grow up into Christ. Uh, grow up in your faith. Uh, grow up into a, a, a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Can, can we all just believe that that's something that we can do? We can grow up. Now, that's what we're going to talk about today, growing up. Becoming a fully devoted follower of Christ. Now, some of you might say, and this is very legitimate, well, Pastor, I'm not even a Christ follower. I'm not even sure I buy this Christianity stuff. And again, I'm just so glad that you're here because that means that your mind is open, your heart is open, you're willing to learn, to listen, to consider. So that's what we ask for everybody in our church. Even if you're not a Christ follower, you can at least ask this one simple question. What will it take for me, personally, where I'm at right now, what will it take for me to take one step closer to God? Now, if you're an atheist, it might be to consider the possibility that maybe there is a God. Maybe that's the step you can take. But each one of us can take a step of growth spiritually. And so I want to encourage that to you. And I want to challenge you today to consider what it means for you to grow up in your faith today. So spiritual growth is not about doing. It's about becoming. Becoming more like Christ. Um, more and more loving the things that Jesus loves. Uh, more and more uh, seeing the world through Jesus' eyes. When you start looking at the world through Jesus' eyes, you see your spouse in a different way. You see your children in a different way. Uh, you see your boss in a different way. You see your enemies in a different way. You see the world that is lost, lost without Jesus. You see the world in a different way. Growing up is more and more having your eyes changed and the eyes of your heart to see people and situations and your family and friends the way that Jesus sees them. See, growing up in your faith is not about a list. Too many people say, okay, ten steps to growing in Christ. Now, a little bit, I'm going to give you four steps to growing in Christ. So, uh, that, you know, I'm kind of telling you what you shouldn't listen to. But ten steps to grow. It's not about doing a list. It's about being in a relationship. It's not about checking off, well, I go to church, I give my tithe, I do this, I do that. That's things that Christians do. That's not being a Christian. Now, how many times have you asked somebody, say, well, what do you think a Christian is? Or you've asked the question, if you're trying to reach someone for Christ, you might ask the question, well, when you get to heaven uh, and God says, why should I let you in heaven, what are you going to say? And you know what people say. It's almost universal. They say things like this. Well, I'm a good person. Well, who on earth defines that? What's a good person? I mean, compared to what? You know, compared to Bugsy Malone? I mean, what makes you a good person? Or, you know, I go to church. Okay, that's nice. But there's a lot of Christians and non-Christians that go to church. Uh, um, well, but I, I give my tithe. Well, again, that's nice and the church appreciates that. But that's something a Christian does. That's not defining what a Christian is. See, a Christian is not something, the summation of what you do. A Christian is someone who knows and experiences the love of Jesus Christ. A Christian is someone you are. A Christ follower is someone who has embraced Jesus as my forgiver, my Savior, my Lord. And, and that's because I've tried. I can't forgive myself. I can't save myself. And I'll be honest with you. I've tried really hard to be the Lord of my life, and I'm not very good at that either. And my guess is you're not either. So we need someone to help us, to save us, to redeem us, to forgive us, and to grant us eternal life. That's what it means to have new life in Christ. And when you know that, you say, okay, that's where I'm headed. That's the growth. That's the 
growth pattern I want to. Again, it's not about doing, doing, doing. It's about becoming, 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 embracing, embracing, embracing more and more, becoming like Jesus Christ. So let's get very specific. What does it mean to grow? I'm going to use an acrostic so you'll help you to remember it. The acrostic is grow. G, God's word, R, relationships, O, obedient living, and um, W, worship. So let's look at those four elements about growing in your faith. God's word. Now, we happen to belong to a denomination that has always embraced the word of God. As most of you know, we come from Swedish immigrants, our denomination. Now, how many of you out there today, this will be really fascinating because we don't have a lot of Swedes in our church, but we do have a lot of winter visitors, and there may be some of you that are Swedish. How many of you are of Swedish in descent? Raise your hand. Okay, like about a dozen of you. So many of the rest of us, we don't... Now, I was accepted in the covenant because I drove a Volvo. So that's the, you know, that's the, that's the best I had. You know, I had nothing else going for me. But I, could, I drove a Volvo in those days. But um, one of the things that characterizes the covenant is uh, these Swedish immigrants came to the United States. They started meeting in small groups because the Lutheran church was dead and lifeless. And they started uh, kind of be reintroducing themselves to the Bible. So uh, somebody that could read, they would gather these farmers, these cobblers, these common, ordinary working people would gather in a home. Uh, Somebody that could read would pull out a Bible in Swedish, of course, and and they would start reading the Word of God. And and as they started reading the Word of God, their lives were transformed. Uh, Everything was changing. Uh, They were starting to understand how much God loves them and how he desires desperately to redeem them and to give them a life that's worth living. And and these these people started reading and cherishing this book. And and they soon became known, these early covenanters uh, soon became known as people of the, you've heard me say this before, what? People of the dirty book. Say, oh, that's kind of weird. No, it's not. When you're a farmer... And you come in no matter how hard you scrub your fingernails, your hands are still dirty. And those people's Bibles were soiled and dirty from use, from reading and people of the book. That's who we are. That's how you grow. If you want to know how to draw closer to Jesus, here's your instruction manual. If you want to know God's heart for the unsaved, here's your instruction manual. Here it is. The psalmist said it this way, your word is a lamp to guide my feet, and a light for my path. It's a lamp, and it's a light. Now, I know what some of you are saying. You wish you had this high beam that went 50 years into the future. So often what we have is this this little light that's just one step. God says, okay, take this step on faith. And I'm not going to tell you about the rest of this, but take one step. It's a lamp into our feet. It's a light, a guide. The writer of Hebrews said it this way, for the word of God is alive. That word alive means God breathed. Numa, his the breath of God was breathed into this book. The word of God is alive and powerful. The original core word of that is dynamo. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Hebrews chapter four, verses verse twelve in the New Living Translation. Now, I just want to for a minute. I mentioned this the other a couple weeks ago, and I thought, you know what? I need to do a little teaching around that word. And that word is the word for word. Okay, I just totally confused you. So the word, logos, L-O-G-O-S, is the Greek word for the word. And it means this idea that God had. And what it, in general, what it means is this general idea from God. Okay, so 
When the Bible says in the Old Testament especially, thus saith the Lord. Okay, when there's this declaration, thus saith the Lord. This is a a truth for you, for me. It was a truth for King David 6,000 years ago. It'll be a truth if the Lord tarries 1,000 years from now. It's a truth for all people, for all time. Thus saith the Lord. It's a logos. But there's another word for word. And that other word is ramos. R-A-I-M-O-S. Ramos. And it means a specific word for you. A specific word precise word for you. Now, almost every Sunday when people are leaving church, some people feel like they need to say something to me about the sermon. By the way, you never have to. You're always welcome to, but you never have to. If you have something to, bad to say, don't tell me after church because i got to preach again in 20 minutes. But uh, email me that later. But, uh, when you go, go, but sometimes people say something like this. Uh, Pastor, that was a good word today. Okay, that was a good logos. In other words, that was a word that every one of us needed to hear. It was good for us. It's good food. We feel, we feel embraced. We feel blessed. We feel convicted. You know, it's good. It's, it's a good word. Other people will say, man, you nailed me today. I, mean, I say, well, I didn't. The Holy Spirit did. But, man, that word today, that just profoundly infected and affected my life. God spoke to me in a very clear voice through that word. That's Ramos. We have, as you know, a part of the DNA of our church is that we invite everybody to join us because we're all on a journey together. And uh, so as a result, we get a lot of people coming to our church that have not been around church ever. And we have and we have a lot of new believers in our church, a lot of people that don't believe. And so we kind of embrace everybody. Well, one of the people that's been coming recently, a guy that I've gotten to know a little bit, um, uh, he's never been in church in his life, except for a couple of weddings. He's never even been inside a church. But the last few weeks, he's been listening and absorbing and, and thinking about this. And, 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 and last Sunday, on his way out, he said, uh, I said, well, how are, you, how are you liking this church experience? I know it's new and different for you. He said, well, I kind of like it. I still don't always get the singing thing. But, but I'll tell you what. He said, today, in your talk, he didn't know... Call it a message or a sermon. And you're talking, now this is a quote, so be nice to me. And if you have children here, earmuff them. He said, that, that talk kicked my ass. And you know what I said to him? I said, thank God, that's awesome. In fact, I wish it would do the same to some of y'all. You know, that's, you know. You know. But, but, but here's, that's a Ramos. That's the Spirit of God saying, through this word, boom, that's for you. And it convicts, and it blesses, and it anoints, and it lifts up, and it challenges, and it does all of that. I mean, the enemy is constantly giving you bad advice. The enemy is constantly whispering in your ear that you don't matter. The enemy says, well, you're no good. You're not worthy of God. And then the ramos for you is nothing can separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 8. That's a ramos for someone who doesn't feel like they matter to God. The enemy can say, well, you're going to lose, and I'm going to win. You just can't compete with me. And then you read this Ramos from 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. That's a Ramos for me. I believe it, that the power of Jesus in me is greater than anything the enemy wants to give me. The enemy says, you're all alone. You're unloved. Nobody cares. You might as well eat some worms. you know. And then you read Hebrews 13, 5. I will never, never, never Never leave you nor forsake you. The enemy says, oh, you just don't 
love God enough. You look at the, what you did. Look at your behavior. Look at what you said. Look at what you did. You're not really a Christ follower. And the Ramos for you is in 1 John chapter 5. He who has the Son has life. Period. He who has the Son has. Do you see what I'm saying? I love Logos. I love this general word of God, this teaching, this beautiful thing that God says. This is a truth for you for all time, and it's a blessing. But I'll tell you what ministers to my soul is that Ramos, a precise, specific word of God. Pierces the enemy. The enemy runs away. But here's the deal. In order for you to experience a Ramos, you've got to hear it, or you've got to read it, You've got to somehow believe it. God perfectly fits, shapes His Word to meet your need. Did you know that? God perfectly shapes. He fits you. And, and, and if you're not reading it, if you're not embracing it, how, do you, how are you going to hear that Word? So, so I'm, uh, uh, we got a, a new television, and it's one of these monsters, and I just love it. You know, these you know, 60-inch deals. And so we needed a new TV stand. And so... Um, of course, you know, uh, Sherry's worse than I am. We're both kind of cheapskates. But, so instead of buying something nice, well, let's go to Ikea, you know. You know, if we can't drive a Volvo, we can shop at Ikea. And so uh, we go to Ikea and buy this thing, which is great, and it's very inexpensive, so that's awesome. And Sherry said, and, and, what's, and she said, what's fun about it is you get to put it together. Okay. Now, folks, I've got a degree in mechanical design engineering. You'd think I could put an Ikea piece of furniture together, right? You'd think, right? So she's gone on a Saturday afternoon, and I'm trying to watch football and put this thing together. And uh, there's, it's obvious, I, again, I'm an engineer, that these two pieces, these little uh, joints go right here, and you just pound them in there. It looks very obvious, and it's just not working. And so what I, you know, my thing is, of course, I would never consider looking at the directions. That would be way beneath me, you know. So I just get a bigger hammer, right? So I'm just pounding, and pretty soon I said, man, this just doesn't right. So I said, okay, Sherry's not here, so I'm going to glance at the instructions. So I did. Sure enough, I had it upside down. I put it the other way. Popped right in. Bless you, Ikea. You just popped right in. You see, God perfectly shapes His Word to meet your need. It's not something that you have to force in there. It's not something that doesn't match up, doesn't quite sync. God perfectly wants to take this Word and shape it in your life and meet your need. That's Ramos. Well, that, we spent some time on that, and I, but I think if you hear nothing else today, it's, it's the importance of the Word of God in your life, right? Well, the other way that you grow is through relationships. Relationships. Healthy and effective spiritual growth is always in the context of relationships. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. There's no such thing as a castaway Christian. People say, well, there's this, uh, you know, I don't need the church uh, to, to love God. Well, yes, you do. You know, I, you can argue with me all day long, but you can't argue with God. And God says, you need the body of Christ. You can't take the head of the church, which is Jesus, and separate it, decapitate it from the body of Christ. We need each other. So healthy growth always takes place in relationships. That's one of the reasons you're sitting here today. You're here because you enjoy relationships, worshiping with other believers, and that's a wonderful thing. So those of you who are medical people... I've heard this word uh, marasmus. It's not really a medical term, but it kind of is. Marasmus is for like uh, uh, babies that come in that, that have not had good nurturing and good care from their parents. And there's this 
tremendous lack of TLC, this lack of love from a mother or a father. Unfortunately, there's too many children in our world that way. And the, the, the phrase for that lack of TLC is Merasmus. We have too many Merasmus Christians that they have not received the TLC of the Church of Jesus Christ. Some of you have been hurt by the church. And I understand that, and I, and I know that. Some of you that were raised in denominations and religions that constantly pounded you and told you that you needed to do, 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 instead of you needed to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I know it hurt. sometimes churches turned on you. Uh, you sinned, and they just turned you out to pasture. And for all of those experiences you've had, I can't speak for everybody, but I can speak for Hope Covenant Church. For all of those of you that have experienced that bad thing at church, we're sorry. The church is sorry. I mean, if you look at history, how goofy the church got from 300, you know, after Constantine to right up until today, how goofy we have and how much we've got the whole thing turned upside down. All we can say is we're sorry. And try it again. You know, try it again. You're here today. That's great. Try it again. God wants you to have a relationship with him and with other people. So today we have, we have grow groups. You can sign up for grow groups today. We encourage you to do that. On Sunday, Saturday, February 2nd, we're having a Be the Church Day. You can join us and serve. Uh, I, I just, I'm excited about seeing a couple hundred people from our church just go out to the community and do these projects, and it's going to be awesome. Proverbs 27 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. See, the one time in my life when I wasn't surrounding myself with people that loved me and held me accountable... The one time in my life that I did that was the three years in Minnesota when I was gambling and being deceptive. See, that's what happened. I insulated and isolated and cocooned myself from people because I didn't want them to know me. God already knows you. And we need to be known by others as well. So relationships really matter in your growth. The third thing is obvious, and that's obedient living. Now, even as you hear that, some of you old-timers, are thinking, okay, here's my list of things I have to do. I've got to read my Bible, praise. You know. Okay, all of those things are things that you do because you love Jesus. You don't do them because it's a checklist. Obedient living is this. It's, it's radical obedience when you look at Scripture. And this radical obedience, obedience is not about doing things. It's radical obedience is about loving your neighbor. Now that's radical, right? You don't even know your neighbors, but that's radical. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. You want radical obedience? Love your enemy. Love people that are different from you. Love people that have a different view of life, a different political party, a different color of skin, a different sexual orientation. You love people the way Jesus loved them. That's radical obedience. O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what He requires of you. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. When you think of radical obedience, don't start coming up with a checklist. Start thinking, how can I love people the way Jesus did? If you do that, your life will be radically obedient to the Father. The last letter in the acrostic for growth is worship. Now, worship is a very uh, kind of weird word in the Old Testament. Uh, it comes from the Greek word liturgia. Now, when you hear that word liturgia, it kind of sounds like what? 
Liturgy, the very thing most of you run away from, scared to death, you know. Oh, no, liturgy. No, liturgia, let me tell you what liturgia means. It means the work of the people. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? It means worship is not about God doing something for you. It's you doing something for God. It's you telling Him how wonderful He is. It's you offering your life, your radical obedience by loving other people. You're giving God His praise and His glory. Basically, the word worship means to give God your attention. Pay attention. Give God your attention. Not just on Sundays, but throughout the week. The chronicler wrote these words. Give to the Lord the glory He deserves. You're not giving Him something He doesn't deserve. Bring your offering and come into His presence. Well, that's how to grow. God's Word, relationships, radical obedience, although we call it obedience because otherwise it's grr, um, uh, radical obedience and worship. Uh, now, to help you kind of understand this, I want to get very personal for the last few moments and uh, kind of tell you in a deeply personal way what this, this growth looks like for, for me personally. And maybe it's different for you, but this might be helpful to you as well. Uh, the first thing that it does for me is it makes me realize that I need to practice the presence of Christ. It's, it, again, it's not a checklist. It's not ten steps to becoming a strong Christian. It's I, I want to radically practice the presence of Christ. Now, Brother Lawrence lived over 300 years ago. Very un, wasn't a well-known pr- priest at the time, but this is what he wrote in his book. Practicing the presence of God in one single act that does not end. (laughs) Isn't that great? Practicing the presence of God in one single act that does not end. That means practicing the presence of God is even while you're driving on the 101 at 7.30 in the morning. That's right, that's right. And somebody cuts you off, which is going to happen every day. That's not going to change. You know, if you pray a lot, or it's just going to happen. You live in the little kingdom, right? The kingdom of man. And, and so it's practicing the presence of God in one single act that does not end. It's an awareness that Jesus is always present. That Jesus is always alive in the moment. Remember what little Elliot said? God, I think about you sometimes even when I'm not praying. Now that's practicing the presence of Christ. There were two disciples, as you know, after the resurrection on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus showed up and just kind of walked along with them. They didn't recognize him. He had some kind of a different uh, molecular makeup after his resurrection because, uh, well, he was kind of cool. He could go through doors and didn't need to walk through, you know, he could go through walls and stuff. And he was walking along next to these guys. They didn't recognize him. And then he started speaking to them through from the Old Testament about all the prophecies that had taken place in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And after Jesus broke bread and shared communion with them, the Bible says that uh, literally, were, these two men said, were not our hearts burning within us? Were not our hearts burning within us? Now, I'm not a mystical kind of guy. I'm not a, you know, one of those that, you know, believes in, all of these kind of weird, feely things. But I'll tell you what, when I'm practicing the presence of God, I can't tell you how often I feel this burning deep inside my soul that Jesus was with me. Practice the presence of Christ. 
Practice telling your story of faith. So many Christians get derailed here. They think somehow they have to go to seminary in order to share their faith with someone. Let me tell you the truth. The worst thing you can do to be a good witness is to go to seminary. That just gets you all messed up. You know, you know too much. You know, so you don't know. Here's the simple. Here's the simple truth. Tell your story. Tell what God's done for you. Tell somebody that's interested of what's happened to you. Now, I have dozens and dozens of stories because I have a lot of life experiences. So do you. If I find somebody that's lost a child, I'll tell them my story of faith around that. If someone is struggling with addictions, I'll tell them my struggles around that. If somebody's struggling with this, you know, you always try to connect with them in the way that's relevant to them. But tell your story of faith. Remember the blind man? blind man didn't have any theology. He'd never been to seminary. The guy didn't know anything. He told the Pharisees, though, well, he said, I don't know about this Jesus. I don't know anything about him, but here's what I do know. You know, uh, 45 seconds ago, I was blind, and I'd been blind all my life, and now I can see. It's your story. Tell your story. We are a people of the story, transforming lives. Once I was blind, but now I see. Learn to tell your story of faith. And the last thing I want to share with you this morning is just this. Practice living in community. Um, Jesus knew the importance of that. He lived in community. He lived with 12 men. He had an inner group, uh, you know, Peter, James, John, and he had a lot of other followers, uh, thousands of followers at times. Uh, but he lived in community with these men. Hebrews 10, the writer says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. When we, um, when our son Tyler, most of you know this story, our son Tyler, who's 10 years old, um, October 19th, 1989, was hit by a car and was killed. When he was in the emergency room in, in Arvada, Colorado, um, of course, Sherry and I were there and our other two children. And within 30 minutes of us getting to the hospital, there were 100 people there from our church. In fact, uh, the, the, the security guards had to tell people to go home. They didn't, but that's what they told them. And we couldn't survive without the church. We couldn't. Um, we just couldn't. And, and then there was another man. His name was Harry Littlebridge. Harry was my Sunday school teacher when I was a boy. And he taught sixth grade boys. And uh, he taught me about Jesus when I was just a boy. He was a recluse, uh, a single man. No one knew much about Harry except on Sundays he would come and talk about Jesus to these sixth grade boys. We found out later that um, somebody discovered that he was, uh, uh, tr- had trouble with alcohol. And they were very, very critical of him. Instead of trying to get him help and encourage him, they were very critical of him. And, and he left the church. This is when I was in college and never came back to the church. Well, fast forward uh, 40 years. Um, when I was home in San Diego a couple of years ago, I read a, in the newspaper, somebody told me that Harry Littlebridge had died. And only a few people knew him. And, and I said, well, he, he taught me about Jesus when I was 11 years old. And I want to go and honor his life. And so I went to his funeral at a small a funeral home in El Cajon, California. And when I got there, I looked around and I was the only one there. I, I believe Harry was a believer. Uh, he, he never managed his demons very well. You know, this alcohol thing got to him. But more than the alcohol, it was the condemnation of the church. It was the church saying, shame on you, instead of embracing him and saying, come on, let's do this thing together. Let's figure this out together. See, 
you think that you can live well without the church, without the community of God, but you cannot. I cannot. We need each other. We desperately need each other. We are better together. 2 Peter 3.18 says it this way as we close. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, that's not a checklist. That's a relationship. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we need desperately uh, Your Spirit in our lives. Um, like, like, we need, like we need air. We, we cannot live without You. And we cannot live without each other. And we cannot live without Your Word. Father, we, we need You desperately. And Father, for us to grow and to be strong and to see people the way that Jesus sees them, to see our spouses the way that You see them, to see our children, our friends, our relatives, our co-workers, our bosses, our enemies, the world, to see them the way that You do, we need to grow up in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not in the doing things, but growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. So Father... My prayer for each and every one of us is to do exactly that. To experience what it means to grow and to become more and more a disciple of Jesus Christ. To become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And we do that, Father, when we open our spirits to your life and to your heart. So, Father, thank you for this word. And may you use it to uh, bless us and encourage us. And, Lord, if need be, to kick our rear ends to do whatever it takes to love you and to serve you. We pray in Jesus' name.